0: Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin in the show. For fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. You can check us out on the all-new Himalaya podcast app, and I highly recommend you go listen to our mock draft series on Locked on NFL, trending into the top 25 on iTunes this week. Outstanding job by everyone involved. I played a small role so I can't even take really any credit for the success of that show. I am championing it because it is really good work by the people who made it happen and that starts with David Locke and and all of the people at the top and then everyone else involved, all of our, our draft analysts, all of our hosts, uh, Brian Peacock for hosting the main show, Matt Williamson, everyone involved really did a great job with it. So highly recommend that you go check that out. And obviously, you should be listening to Locked on Bucks right now, the Bucks in the middle of a playoff run. And and given the way the NBA playoffs look, I mean, they might be the favorite right now. So you need to get on board with Locked on Bucks as well. Today, we are going to spend some time talking about the receiver position And this is something that we have discussed over the course of the last few weeks, the last few months. I have made the case and and made the case recently that Green Bay would benefit from a top-tier talent in this group. And that if they don't get a top-tier talent, they should issue the selection of a receiver. that, That another day three pick is really not going to move the needle. If you're not going to take someone first round, second round, third, third round, you know, if, if at 75, one of those guys falls and you like them, you know, let's say JJ Arthago, Whiteside falls, Andy Isabella falls, AJ Brown falls, one of the guys that they're already interested in or may like, Henry McLaurin falls, Maybe it makes sense. After that, you have developmental receivers. So go with that. What I think is interesting is Rob Domofsky reported that Green Bay might not actually be interested in doing that, that they're good with who they have, and that they're not interested in taking someone early. Now, that could be a smokescreen. I I don't know what the benefit of that is, uh, you know, I guess this is silly season. I mean, it is silly season, but, you know, they do like Nikhil Harry. They have had some receivers in for pre-draft visits. They met with some receivers uh, at the combine. All of those guys were day two players, at least in my opinion. And and I think by general consensus, the receivers they met with, Andy Isabella, Ortega Whiteside, who I mentioned AJ Brown has some people that believe he's a, a first round pick. Right now, I mean, I think the the prevailing wisdom, the the popular take on receivers is that there may only be one first round receiver, maybe two, and it's not AJ Brown. So, Green Bay not looking at receiver at least in the first round and you know, I don't know how many really belong in the top 45. Green Bay probably going to have the opportunity to take a player in the top 40, maybe even the top 35, 32, 30 on their board at 44, given the desire for quarterbacks and and players who really aren't probably not worth those picks. But so if Green Bay is not interested in a receiver, and I do think that jives with what we've seen through the pre-draft process, they haven't shown interest in these players, with the exception really of Nikhil Harry. And if you go back and look, this was something I mentioned yesterday with all of the offensive tackles that they have shown interest in. If you go back and look at last year, the Packers met with, as part of their 30 pre draft visits, eight of those dudes ended up on the Packers. Eight of the 30 guys that came in for those special pre-draft visits ended up on the Packers, including Oren Burks, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They looked at multiple mid-round linebackers, multiple mid-round receivers, and they met with multiple first-round cornerbacks. They ended up taking multiple first-round cornerbacks. The only position where they met with more than one first-round player last year in their top 30 Pre-draft visits was cornerback. They ended up taking two. Now, Josh Jackson falling was not part of the plan, but clearly they wanted a cornerback. They were investigating top-tier corners. The only position where the Packers have had multiple first-round player visits with their top 30 visits so far is offensive tackle, and not only do they have multiple, they've got a bunch I mean, depending on how you think about these players, Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, Greg Little, at the very least, and then Caleb McGarry has gotten some first-round love. Titus Howard has gotten some first-round love. They have interest at the Combine at, from, from Juwan Taylor. They had senior bowl and combine time with Dalton Reisner. They're going to take an offensive tackle early at 12, at 30, at 44, one or maybe multiple of those spots, there's going to be an offensive tackle. With with potential needs elsewhere and with a lack of interest in players at that position in that range, it seems unlikely to me that Green Bay is going to follow through on picking a receiver unless someone that they just can't pass up falls into their lap. Now, on the other hand, It is the case that they are vetting basically every one of the top tight ends. Noah Fant, Jay Sternberger, TJ Hawkinson, Irv Smith Jr., all these guys are players that Green Bay has shown various amounts of interest in. So what does that tell us about the players that they're or the positions where they're looking? I think. It is telling. I think it tells us a lot. Last year, Brian Gudekinst showed his cards a little bit. Yeah, he brought in Vita Vea. Yeah, he brought in Derwin James, who he ended up having the opportunity to select if he wanted him. He brought in first-round players at other positions. Connor Williams, many thought was a first-round player, ended up being a second-round player. But he only brought in two of corners. Now, this year, he's brought in multiple firsts at at offensive tackle, and that's it. Now, they showed interest at the combine in multiple first-round edges, multiple first-round offensive tackles, multiple first-round tight ends. That's it. That's it. Not multiple first-round receivers, not multiple first-round safeties. Those three positions. So... What is, does that tell us something interesting about how they want to approach this draft? I think it does. And that also is congruent with how we view this roster and how I think Green Bay views this roster. They know they need a future offensive tackle. They know they need a future safety next to Adrian Amos. They know they need a future tight end. and they And they know they need help on the edge moving forward. They can get by at receiver with the talent that they have. I thought Equinemia St. Brown should have been a day-two pick. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, legitimately good last year for a day-three rookie. And I like Jamon Moore. In year two, he could take a step forward. He got better every year at Missouri. He's working hard on his footwork this offseason. Maybe this offense, which is killer for guys who can run double moves, a specialty of his, could ignite a year-two leap for more because, obviously, as a rookie, did not produce anywhere near the levels that I think Green Bay expected him to. Could they manage with those guys and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones in this offense? Yes, they could. Do they need to use top-level capital to get receivers? Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. And maybe they don't if they can get a tight end. This is a case that I've made in the past. If Devontae Adams is healthy especially, at least in 2019, if Devontae Adams is healthy, their wide receiver two is probably going to be Geronimo Allison. Now, if Devontae Adams goes down, they don't have a true receiver one. They're going to have to lean on the run game. They're going to have to lean on Matt LaFleur's ability to scheme up Open receivers, open tight ends, that's something that he is actually pretty good at, at least what we saw last year, and that is something that the offense that he is bringing, or at least that we think he's bringing, is also particularly good at, and we're going to talk about that offense in just a second, but my point here is the tight end, I've made this case over and over in 2020, 2021, but in 2019, Jimmy Graham. Even though we saw last year he looked a little washed, maybe more than a little, he can be a focal point given the way that this offense creates space for the tight end. And if that's true, then maybe you need fewer resources allocated to receivers because the offense is going to do the work. We're going to talk about that offense right after this. So we don't know exactly what Matt LaFleur's offense is going to look like in Green Bay. He's going to tailor it to the personnel. What we saw in Tennessee was not a carbon copy of what we saw in L.A., and it was not a carbon copy of what we saw in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan. The reason for that is simple. The personnel's different, but also McVay has a different sensibility than Kyle Shanahan. They are not... Identical. It's the same reason that Mike McCarthy's offense and Andy Reid's offense don't look the same, even though really the base concepts are the same. Now, Andy Reid pushed his offense forward, Mike McCarthy didn't. And so, you know, obviously there are more than just fundamental reasons that their offenses would look similar, but there's also more than just that congruency in the fundamentals of their offense that are important. Andy Reid added modern techniques. He added modern plays. He added all sorts of unique individual pieces that modernized the offense that Mike McCarthy didn't. Matt LaFleur's offense in Tennessee at first was an interesting mix of Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. He ran three receivers more often than Kyle Shanahan, but far less often than Sean McVay. What is he going to do in Green Bay? This is the interesting question. Because let's say he plays three receivers or more 40-45% of the time. How important is it that you have that third or even that second receiver, honestly? As long as Devontae Adams is healthy, the other guy can succeed simply because Aaron Rodgers is there and the offense is going to create separation for him. It's going to create opportunities for him to make plays. It's not a coincidence that Kyle Shanahan took Marquise Goodwin and turned him into a thousand yard receiver. He can use his offense to create space down the field, especially create openings, create lanes, create windows for the quarterback. If, if that is the case that Matt LaFleur can do that, having receiver talent, and you're gonna hear Ben Fennel later in the week, this is something that he a case he has made about tight ends. If you don't need a guy in this offense who can do it on his own, then it makes it easier to say, well, the guys they have are good enough. Now, obviously, you want to ease the burden on your scheme the same way you want your scheme to ease the burden on your players. And so if you can bring in a blue chip receiver, do it if, if that makes sense, given the context. Now, you have Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is really, really, really good. If he's healthy, it doesn't matter who's starting opposite him. It's going to be probably Geronimo Allison to open. He's going to play, if he plays, if he's healthy, 65% of snaps, just the two of them. And the other 35%, 40% of snaps, whatever it is, is going to be three receiver sets, maybe some four receiver sets. You're going to see multiple tight ends a lot. You're going to see multiple backs a lot. And that is the, the heart of this offense. That is what they want to do. It's how they want to play. But Matt LaFleur does want to use multiple receivers more often than Kyle Shanahan. Just not quite as often as Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, who wants to play out of 11 personnel basically at all times. So it is the case that Matt LaFleur is going to tailor his personnel groupings and his offense to his players. But that also means you don't have to add players to run an offense because Matt LaFleur is going to tailor his system to his players. So, you know, this was this was a rule that I had I developed growing up, and that is when it comes to clothes, I do like to buy clothes. I don't do it very often, but when I do, I enjoy it. Don't buy a shirt if you have to buy new pants to go with that shirt. That doesn't mean only buy shirts that you already have. Buy a shirt that you don't own or that's different than something that you do own, but make sure it goes with something else you already have in your wardrobe. It's a way to say dress with consistency and continuity and don't overspend because if you buy a shirt that you need to buy new pants for and new shoes for, suddenly you you are spending a lot of money. So you can say, add a receiver, and Matt LaFleur is going to use that receiver if you add him. But if you don't add him, he's going to use the guys that he has too. He's going to do that theoretically either way. So why spend draft capital on a player that Matt LaFleur doesn't necessarily need? Mike McCarthy needed that player. His scheme required talent and depth to work. Theoretically we think Matt LaFleur's offense needs a little bit less of that. A little bit less because it relies on different foundations to work. It doesn't require individual matchup winning on the outside from receivers as often as Mike McCarthy does. You still have to run good routes. You still have to get open and you still have to make the catch. Rodgers is still going to have to make the right reads. He's still going to have to see the field. All of the the... Football 101 stuff still applies. It's not like Matt LaFleur is going to come in and suddenly the game is going to be easy for everyone. No, it's still the NFL. It's still football. It's still going to require a lot of preparation, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of execution from players and coaches. But we think it's the case. And he doesn't have to be Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. The offense is the thing. The bones of this offense are set up to have success in the run game. Success in the run game, success in the run game breeds success in the play action game. Though as I've said many times, you don't need run success for play action success. But in this case, it helps. And that makes everything easier because the most efficient play in football is a play action pass. And the more of those you can call, generally speaking, the more efficient your offense is. Ask Jared Goff, ask Drew Brees, ask Tom Brady. They are play-action killers. Mike McCarthy refused at times to go to the play-action game. Maybe Rodgers was a part of that. The execution and the play design was not where it needed to be. And so they weren't able to do the things that most teams are able to do, elevating their offense, at least elevating their efficiency, with the play-action game. So when you look at this offense... And the ability to get tight ends open. This was something we saw Matt LaFleur do last season in Tennessee. Even with Delaney Walker hurt, he was able to take Luke Stocker and Johnny Smith and create opportunities for them. Well, whatever you want to say about Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis, they're better players than those dudes. And if you add a TJ Hawkinson or a Noah Fant or an Irv Smith Jr. or a Dawson Knox or a Jay Sternberger, any of those guys, now you have a pass-catching option. Your pass-catching option doesn't have to be a receiver. And I think you're going to see Matt LaFleur use Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams more in the passing game. I think they could benefit from a pass-catching running back some sort of versatile you know, change of pace back who can do a little bit of everything, who can be speedy, who can be a home run hitter, a Tariq Cohen type who you can move around in the formation, you can split out, he can run routes, he can catch passes, he can run the ball, maybe can return kicks. I mean, Tariq Cohen is a perfect example of the kind of player who would thrive for Matt LaFleur. It's why Tennessee signed Deion Lewis last year. This offense could benefit from a Deion Lewis type. So you look at what Green Bay is saying about their receivers, and you go, yeah, but if Devontae gets hurt, they're in trouble. That is theoretically true. Let's say they take Nikhil Harry in the first round. Can that guy really carry your offense as a rookie? Probably not. And your tight end, even if you draft him, instead probably can't carry your offense in 2019 either and probably just isn't going to because Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis are on the team and in the NFL those guys are going to get first crack at playing unless they really suck and the rookie is really good it's going to be tough to get that rookie on the field but by 2020 that's when the dividends could be paid well by 2020 Equinemius St. Brown may have made a leap Jamon Moore may have made a leap. Marquez Vela-Scantling may have made a leap. And it's possible that your tight end has made a leap. That he makes a leap in 2020. And now he can be that secondary receiver. That, that pass catcher too in your offense. And if Devontae Adams does go down, he can carry your offense the way George Kittle carries Kyle Shanahan's offense. The way that Gronk, at times, could carry Josh McDaniel's offense. And I think the way we'll see Jared Cook add to the Saints' offense this season, smart coaches can do this. And particularly in Matt LaFleur's offense, he's shown the ability to create for his tight end. So even though it is the case that Green Bay could use another impact pass catcher, it doesn't have to be a receiver, it can be a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. I love Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma in the middle rounds, injury concerns, but the dynamic playmaking ability, dynamic player with the ball in his hands, whether he's running or catching the ball. There are other Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson, Devin Singletary. There are guys in this draft with the ball in their hands can create a ways that Green Bay's current roster can't. And they can get those guys and and give them an aspect that they don't currently have. It doesn't have to be at receiver. So you put all of those things together and, and I think you can come to the conclusion, yeah, this makes sense. And they like the guys that they have, but it's also the case that 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 secondary receiver is not as important in this offense because of how important the run game and the play action game is, how effectively... They think they can scheme open their receivers and and how big a role you're going to see the running backs play in the pass-catching game, the tight ends are going to play in the pass-catching game, and if they add a tight end who can be that heir apparent to Jimmy Graham, and hopefully better than Jimmy Graham has been, then he can assume that mantle as the number two pass catcher in that offense, even if... It's the case that MVS and EQ and Jamon Moore never ascend to any greater heights than they are at already. It makes sense. So even though I think Green Bay could add a receiver and it would be great, I see the wisdom of what's going on here and when you put all the pieces together, I think what they're doing, if it is in fact what they're doing, remember it's silly season, it makes sense for Green Bay given the offense, and the personnel already on this team combined with the guys they could potentially add in this draft. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Ben Fennel is going to be on the show talking about the NFL draft, breaking it down from a Packers standpoint, the players he likes, players who could come in and help Green Bay right away or down the line or both, and he is really smart. So when he speaks... Hopefully, you listen when he writes. Hopefully, you read. Hopefully, you're following him on Twitter. And then after that, Jason Hirschhorn is going to be on to preview the NFL draft. Uh, It's it's here already, it seems like. It's next week, and we're going to do preview shows next week, starting uh, with the 12th pick. Who are the options? Who are the best options? Who could Green Bay be interested in? What are their options there for trades? We're going to do 30. We're going to do 44. And then Thursday, because... Thursday, I want you to have content Thursday morning. So Thursday morning, you're gonna get a show previewing the 75th pick. Guys, that they could be available there because that's gonna be that's gonna be able to live in all likelihood a full 24 hours and probably longer, more like 36 to 40 hours, because Green Bay is not gonna pick until that make that third round pick until late on day two. So we can have that conversation Thursday and then Thursday night of the draft, we're going to go right into reactions to the Packers picks. Friday night, there will also be an instant reaction podcast. Uh I'll, I'll be sure to promote that on Saturday as well, just so everyone gets it. And then we'll be back on Monday to talk about everything that happened over the weekend, day three, the moves that were made, everything that went on related to the Packers draft. We are your top Packers source for everything related to the NFL draft and that's just one of the reasons why we're the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. Remember you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I know that we've had some new listeners come on board in the last week or two um, really the last couple months and uh, I really appreciate that. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify Google Play, on Himalaya the all new podcast app check that out also go to Locked On NFL. Locked on Bucks, Locked on NFL Draft, support all of the content that we have here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is all tremendous. At the very least, the stuff that you're likely to be interested in is good. Locked on Bucks is awesome. If you're not, if you're not listening, now is the time to get on board, seriously. And if you're not listening, like, what, are you, what are you doing? Go listen, seriously. Giannis, come on. What else do I have to say? Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. Like us on Facebook. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775. Going to have a lot of time to get to your questions after the draft when things slow down just a little bit. So with everything going on, There's only one way to make sure that you're staying up to date on everything that's going on with your favorite NFL team. And you already know what it is. At least I think you do. You probably already know, right? You know what it is. You have to stay locked on Packers.